Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Reformed Dissenters. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today, for watching us or listening to us, whatever platform you might be on. My name is Bruce Johnson. I'm joined here in the wonderful state of South Dakota with my good friend Joseph Lassiter. And we're also joined by my brother Jacob Johnson back in Pennsylvania. Hello. And uh, today we're actually joined additionally by a special guest here in the studio, um, and that would be Travis Lassiter. And uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, he, this is his uh, second second time on the show. So uh, very excited. We have some very um, exciting conversations we want to have today. So um, Travis has uh, let us bring him on the show again. So we're very excited to have him back. Um, don't forget, you can share this show with as many people as you can. We'd really appreciate it if you did that. You can go to our website, which is trdshow.net. Grab that link, share it with as many people as you can, um, and send us some emails at trdshow at protonmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Um, also, don't forget to follow us on our pro First Amendment platforms such as Gab and uh, Gab TV and Rumble. Um, when we get censored, it's not an if, it's when we get censored from YouTube. The only place you'll be able to get our content is from places that agree with the First Amendment, such as Rumble and Gab TV. So please, please follow us there. Don't just rely on big tech and, uh, and the likes. Follow us on platforms that don't censor people. Our theme this month is what does it really mean to be salt and light in this dark world? So a lot of what we're going to be discussing today pertains directly to that theme. Um, so just keep that in mind as we discuss things and uh, we'll be breaking that down a little bit more later during the literature segment. So uh, first, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about um, the Heartbeat Bill draft from Christy Noem that happened last week. Uh, we're going to be discussing that with Travis Lasseter in just a second. Um, some very interesting things that a lot of people don't really know about, but people need to know about these things before they start um, <laughs> discussing them and, and making some assumptions that a large portion of even the Republican and conservative news media tends to jump to. So we're going to try and, and out, lay out some of the facts and have a, a really good discussion on that. And then after that, we're going to go into the literature of the month. And uh, this month, we're reading The Confessional County by Raymond Simmons. So some very, very interesting um, subject matter there. But before we get to all of that, we have to talk about the verse of the week. And our verse this week is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Ephesians 6, 12. And it says, Says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, uh, guys, this was the verse last week that I was trying to remember, and we kind of pieced it together. Um, but uh, this was the verse that we were discussing a little bit last week. So I thought this was really good to to bring up who our battle is against and what we're actually battling, right? We are battling um, the cosmic powers over this present darkness against spiritual forces. This is, this is a deeper battle that we need to take seriously. It's not just politics. It's not just uh, earthly things. There is a real spiritual battle happening here. So we need to keep that in mind. All right, let's discuss the um, bill. First of all, I, I want to introduce Travis Lasseter. Um, for those of you who maybe this is your first time uh, watching the show and you haven't heard from Travis before, Travis is an accomplished leader in healthcare. He's got, uh, I think, over 27 years of experience in healthcare, which is 
Very, very cool. We had him on um, a couple months ago discussing COVID uh, related things. So that was a very informative episode. Uh, but he's also the executive director of a local pregnancy center and he is our local county commissioner. So very impressive resume there. So um, we're very excited to have you on and thank you for all that you're doing in this in this community. We really appreciate it. It's great to be here. Um, okay, so let's discuss what's, what's going on. Last week, um, there were some headlines that came out. I wanted to read one from The Blaze. It said, South Dakota Republicans kill fetal heartbeat bill without debate. Um, so there's some interesting headlines going on uh, about some sort of bill. Um, why don't you just like... Fill us in a little bit on some of the details. I, I did want to mention, like, Christy Nome on February 2nd submitted to the House this heartbeat bill draft um, that was not accepted by the House State of Repair. So just really quickly, tell us about the difference between a bill and a bill draft in terms of that coming from a governor. Right. So in the state of South Dakota, the uh, it's the, the legislature, the House, or the Senate's where bills are started. So basically a legislator drafts a bill, gets, uh, gets signatures on it, and they submit it, and then it gets a bill number, and then it gets assigned a committee. Hmm. That's how it works here in the state of South Dakota. The, exec- the, the, the governor is an executive, is in the executive branch. They don't have bill authority. They don't, they don't get to draft laws. Now, we have in, in the state of South Dakota allowed governors to draft language and submit it to a committee and ask them if they will take it, and, and, some, and sometimes they do. Um, but that doesn't mean it always is. Remember, again, our, our government was established in a way that the legislators legislate. They're the ones mm. who draft bills and they right. present the bills. They assign them to committees. They debate them on their merits and they pass them or they or they, or they don't pass them either way. So that's kind of how it goes. In this particular case, uh, Governor Nome had asked the House State Affairs to accept her her language of her bill, or, or what could be a bill if it was accepted, and the and the and the House State Affairs uh, chose not to accept it. There was a motion to uh, accept the bill or accept the language, and there was no second. So without a second, the the motion died to accept it. Gotcha. Very interesting. Thank you for filling us in on some of that background that some people might not might not know about how that that process works. Um, so Gnome, I think it was approximately nine months ago, brought up, I think that was roughly around the time when the Texas, similar Texas bill um, was passed in Texas. And so I guess nine months ago, she started really, you know, along those lines, I think she made an announcement maybe a, a little less than a week afterwards. If I'm remembering correctly, she said, we want to do something like this in South Dakota, like what Texas did. Um, so that was kind of her um, her idea. And she went to, from what I know, she went to several um, experts in, in the pro-life area um, and discussed some of these things. Is there anything you can tell us about like some of the people she was discussing or any sorts of those, those kinds of conversations that might've happened? Right. There was a lot of conversations with the pro-life community. And when I say pro-life community, I do mean leadership of organizations that are very uh, involved in the pro-life community. Hmm. And so uh, she reached out to the lawyers that were involved with these agencies. Um, we had a lot of uh, meetings. I, I mean, I was there in, 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 in some of these meetings, but um, we had a lot of uh, conversation with her and her staff, uh, you know, I didn't speak to her specifically, but it was her staff that was there. And we discussed, you know, the pros, the cons of this type of bill with what we have already moving forward with mm. the, the, the law, uh, Planned Parenthood versus Nome, which is a very important uh, lawsuit that's actually at the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals now, which is one step away from the Supreme Court. Wow. And we, we explained uh, our concerns with the with the with the language of her draft and how it may impact or uh, cause problems with the current 
court case that is already in the pipeline and that's been in the pipeline since 2012. And that's right. important to understand because we believe that case, preserving that case is very important. Everyone, well, maybe not everyone, but most people have already know that Dobbs, the Dobbs case was heard at the Supreme Court this summer and we expect in June to hear uh, the Supreme Court's decision on that particular case. Hmm. So that particular case, depending on what it does with Roe v. Wade, um, our case may be impactful or it may not be impactful. It just depends. If if Dobbs overturns Roe v. Wade 100%, then our case doesn't matter because we've achieved the, hmm. the end goal of overturning Roe v. Wade, which right. is important so that states can make their own determination of how they want to legislate for abortion, whether hmm. they want to ban it or whether they want to allow it. Right now, this federal law does not allow states to ban it because it violates a woman's right to privacy, due process under the 14th Amendment per the Supreme Court um Roe v. Wade decision. So if Dobbs overturns it, our case doesn't matter. But if Dobbs, there's a lot of conversation that the Dobbs case will partially overturn Roe v. Wade. So you don't want to take any avenue out of the process that's been in the process for several years right. if it's if it needs to be keyed up and ready to yeah, go. Yeah, if it and has the potential to do more. Yep. Yeah. And so that's the whole purpose of us <clears throat> preserving that particular case. And some people will argue and say, well, wait a minute, is it putting a heartbeat bill in at least saving some babies? Well, in the state of South Dakota, no, because there's only one... Mm. There's only one abortion facility in the state of South Dakota. And we saw during COVID that whenever that facility shut down, South Dakota women were still getting abortions, but they weren't getting them in the state of South Dakota. Uh, Planned Parenthood was sending them over to Iowa. Wow. Or Minnesota, or on on our side of the state, Hmm. they may have gone down to Colorado and stuff. So even if you ban it right now, and without getting into all that, there's a lot of details with our codified law and how we deal with abortion here with the 72-hour wait period with counseling, anti-coercion, and things of that nature. The, the bottom line is is that if we would have passed the heartbeat bill and it would have gone into effect, it could have muted the, the case that we have, therefore making it invalid. Mm. And if we would have made it invalid and Dobbs doesn't overturn Roe v. Wade, now we've just taken out the mechanism to overturn right. Roe v. Wade. Yeah, I just give a wow. whole lot of information. Yeah, no, Sorry. that's that's really <laughs> great context to have. Um, and this is a much deeper issue than it appears. Yeah, yeah. My um, what I really wanted to get across here and and make aware was that you know when people read a lot of these headlines, they're just going to assume, oh my goodness, what South Dakota just their legislator must be horrible. They just turned all of this down. This could have been a great bill. But what you're saying, what I'm gathering, is that there's much more to this issue. Um, and there's a court, uh, you said the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals? Yes, sir. So is that one, you said this one step away from the Supreme Court. And That's correct. And that could have much greater implications. Um, Absolutely. And can I touch of, on one other thing, if you yeah, don't mind? Yeah, go for it. Our court case has actually probably got the best court record ever. Uh, and I'm not a lawyer, but I'm going to tell you the way my lawyer explains it to me. Um <laughs> We've All actually right, here got we go. two, gearing up for some lawyers. I know, speak. right? right. <laughs> well, I'm not going to tell you in lawyer speak, <laughs> okay. uh, except for some terminology. Our case has got the best record of all cases. We've won every piece of our case up to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. Mm. The interesting thing is, and the way I understand it from our lawyer, we've actually received two en banc rulings, and both of them have been in our favor. Now, an en banc ruling, if you don't know what it is, and I don't really know what it is, but to get an en banc hearing is rare, <laughs> okay. and then to get a, a a ruling that is favorable to your case is even rarer. Wow. And we've had two of those. Two on bonk? On bonk rulings, on bonk rulings and in it? our favor. Wow. And wow. so so that shows you the, so this the is strength strong, of yeah. our case. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. That's that's very interesting. Um, you know, I, I also wanted to go back to the fact that this bill that she was proposing, right, 
was what we call a heartbeat bill. Right. Um, and the heartbeat bills, I mean, that's been around for a little while, that term, right? Um, but essentially, could you break down what that essentially means? I think one of the, well, the one of the integral points of that is that we're not saying the that life starts at conception, right? We're saying that life is starting as soon as there's a heartbeat, right? Which is part of part of this argument. Um, could, do you want to elaborate on that at all, or is that kind of the, the basic definition of that? No, that, that's correct. Mo, most heartbeat builds are that's what they're focusing on. They're they're focusing on whenever we. Uh, do an ultrasound on a pregnant woman. If we detect a heartbeat or cardiac um, uh, uh, motion, mm. that then that determines that we can no not do an abortion or that someone that you shouldn't do an abortion on that child. And so what that means is we're. I personally think what that's saying is if there's zero to the moment you have the heartbeat and you're saying you can abort that child, then yeah. you're not recognizing the the value of that child, which is a separate, unique living human being at the moment of conception. Yeah. So yeah. understanding what a heartbeat bill does, it still allows the death, um, the murder of an unborn child uh, whenever you look at on the pure wording uh, of those bills. Hmm. Does, yeah. that, does that answer your yep, question? Definitely does. Yeah. Thank you very much. And that's an important consideration, you know, and you were discussing earlier the, the benefits of this court case as opposed to this bill. And that's, that's a big part of it. Not only does this have a greater chance of succeeding and, and its implications are far more reaching, the proposed bill itself is not all that great because it's a heartbeat bill, which is not even necessarily what lines up with what we believe or what we want to push. So in many ways, this is a, a much better thing to push through. Yeah, go ahead. Or what's in our codified law that says a, a, a ch an unborn child is a separate, mm. unique living human being at the moment of conception. Wow. So yeah. understanding that. And something I forgot to touch upon, yeah, if you don't mind, mind um, you know, we hear all the stuff about what is going on, you know, the, you know, Governor Noam you know, put out her press releases and then, and then there's press releases from the, from the legislators. And then there's a lot of call for replace the legislators and things of that nature. <laughs> wow. um, yeah. It's all based on not understanding the whole of the story. Mm. And yep. every, I mean, I hate to say it, but every individual who has a piece in this has their own piece of the story and they only want to tell a portion of the story. It's mm. very important. And I say this all the time when I get an opportunity to talk to people, Take what's not being said and go find <laughs> the find the rest of the story because mm. somebody's telling you something. They want you to believe their side of the story. Yeah, I would tell you go read anything and everything that I referred to today and yeah. go see if I'm telling you the truth. I don't expect you to take my word for it. I mean, I hope you would, but I also don't want you to blindly follow me. I want you to go out there and read it. So mm. if I say this is X, then you don't go, oh, it is just X, right. and you didn't go read it. So yeah. it's like anything else. You need and to it, trust but verify. Yes, and and then. And then make decisions, not go. Oh, why? Well, <laughs> why are they picking on the governor? Well, they're not right. picking on the governor. They 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 critically thought about what was at stake, mm. and they made decisions based on what the yep. best information was presented to them. Love it. Yep, that's fantastic. And that you know we've said that since day one, episode one on this show. We want you to do your own research, um, and that's that's been a big big part of what we do. So yeah, yep, absolutely. Um, so, so oh, go ahead, Jake. I I did have one question. So you were talking about how this bill in this um, case is so strong. And I was wondering if you knew what what part of the case is strong that a that other governors and other people might be able to replicate to kind of replicate this in their own state to uh, help put this through as well. 
that's a that's a really good question. <laughs> um, not being the lawyer, I, I don't know if I can recommend anything except to look at what the state of South Dakota has put forward in our legislation. Now, I will point out that we, our state took a different view when challenging or knowing that we were going to be challenged and it could be going to the Supreme Court. And, and that focus was on based on what the kind of the crutch of what Roe v. Wade is. And that deals with um, a woman's right to privacy based on the 14th Amendment, that we may not deprive them of life, liberty. They really focus it on liberty or property without due process. So there had to be due process before you could deny them something that they felt was impacting their liberty. Uh, Justice Blackburn noted that only a compelling state interest justifies regulations limiting a fundamental right. So that's kind of the crutch of the Roe v. Wade um, case. Our our particular bill uh, back in 2011 focused on the, the uh, a state's compelling interest in the relationship between the mother and the child. Mm. And in 2015, we actually, uh, the state of South Dakota had a concurrent resolution based off of our uh, legislation from back in 2011. Uh, and it was resolution number 1004. And it was, the address was delivered to the Supreme Court of the United States. And it's basically wow. a resolution um, to why they should overturn Roe v. Wade and how it's a, how our state interest in protecting the mother and the child's relationship is at stake. Um, I'm willing to read a portion of that yeah. um, to kind of give context for it. Now, this is about a 24-page resolution, so I'm not <laughs> going to read the whole resolution. But, but there's uh, a we'll, we'll we'll link that in the description. So that's right. uh, that's really good. So if you guys want to look this up yourself, that would be great too. But there's four paragraphs that are really important in this, and and I know this is a as a as a radio show, and this might be boring, <laughs> but it is actually very important to understand Absolutely. what the state of South Dakota said. Yep. Now, I will mind you, uh, the state of South Dakota, the House passed this resolution with an 86 percent uh, vote of yes, and then the Senate passed it with a 74 percent of yes. And wow. to get both on board, a lot of times is is a challenge. And so, for a pro-life resolution, that that's pretty good numbers. Yeah. So the piece of this resolution I'm going to read is it starts here. It says, "Whereas we, the duly elected representatives of the people of South Dakota, who serve the people by discharging the highest duty of government to protect." The intrinsic natural rights of its people are charged with the sacred obligation to enumerate those great intrinsic rights and to take all responsible measures to preserve and protect them. I'm going to paraphrase some of this. Um, the right and duty to preserve life cannot coexist with a right or duty to destroy it. Hmm. The right and duty to preserve and protect the cherished relationship between mother and child cannot coexist with a right and duty to destroy it. It is the law as it represents the collective interests of the individuals for whom it exists that must choose which set of interest it must protect. And long ago, our law was required to choose life over death, the mother's beautiful interest in her child's life over its destruction, the protection of innocent children over the misguided philosophies and trends in social thought which come and go. If there are any self-evident and universal truths that can act for human race as a guide or light in which social and human justice can be grounded, they are these, that life has intrinsic value, 
that each individual human being is unique and irreplaceable, and that cherished that cherished role of a mother and her relationship with her child at every moment of life has intrinsic worth and beauty, that the intrinsic beauty of motherhood is inseparable from the beauty of womanhood, Mm. and that this relationship, its unselfish nature, and its role in the survival of the race is the touchstone and core of all civilized society. Its denigration is the denigration of the human race. Wow. This relationship, its beauty its survival, its benefits to the mother and child, its benefits to society, all rest in the self-evident truth that a mother is not the owner of her child's life. She is the trustee of it. Hmm. And whereas our sacred mission to preserve and protect some of those cherished intrinsic rights has been diminished and even destroyed by those certain tragic, flawed, and destructive court decisions and the exercise of power by the United States Supreme Court in Roe and Doe so that we find it our sacred and solemn obligation to point to the errors of the court as part of our duties to protect the rights of our people. Wow. Wow. That is amazing. Um, and that, what document is that again, just uh, in case people forgot? That is the resolution of the state of South Dakota to the Supreme Court of the United States of America back in 2015. Wow. Uh, it's resolution um, number 1004. Wow. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for, uh, for sharing that. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. Uh, oh, yeah. Go ahead, Joe. I got a question for you. So why is our I'll, – I'll back up and ask. Is South Dakota really the only state that is set up that would have been set up really good for a court case, or is there a couple other states? And then hmm. why, good question. why is it South Dakota, or, or what's the policies that have really impacted so that South Dakota be, could be the one that brings up to the court case, Supreme Court? So obviously the Dobbs case was a well-positioned case, and we can't we can't discredit that Dobbs may actually overturn Roe v. Wade. So I can't answer that directly. I, again, I don't know all the cases that are out there. Um, our, our, our lawyer, I believe, is familiar with all of them. But based on our letter to the governor, uh, Governor Nome here, um, some of the statements in there was that our case is the best positioned case with all of its winnings and to show or to overturn Roe v. Wade if the Dobbs case does not succeed. Mm. So you got to remember, a lot of thought gets put into some of this legislation um, in, in knowing that it's going to be challenged by Planned Parenthood. Yeah. And so when this was all done, I don't know if we, I don't know if the Dobbs case was, it obviously hadn't gone to court at that at that point in time back in 2011 before this was filed, I don't believe. Uh, I could be wrong on that. I didn't look whenever Dobbs was filed. So we would have known that, there would have been something else out there that was going to kind of go side by side with us. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it all depends on what the state decides to do because every state is different in how they want to look at it and, and what they're willing to risk because everybody knows that if you do a pro-life legislation that severely restricts abortion, you're going to be sued. Now hmm. the question is, do you have the fortitude to do that? Yeah. To withstand that attack. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, and, and I think part of that conversation, when we look at the Texas bill that was passed, the heartbeat bill, I mean, it has the potential to fail later on down the road, right? That potential is there. Um, and so because of that, it doesn't make sense to abandon the track that we're on right now, uh, legislate a bill that's 
pretty much similar, very similar to the Texas bill, and then have both of those bills fail at the same time in the future. And now we're left with nothing right. when we have something coming down the pike that's been, I mean, it's been in the in the pike for, for how long? Since 2004? Well, there's a lot of work that's been done on it since 2004. The case, the lawsuit started in 2012 when Planned Parenthood sued mm. the state of South Dakota. Another thing important, to, if you don't mind me backing yeah. up for the Texas one, Texas really hasn't won a lawsuit on its heartbeat bill. There's not been someone that Planned Parenthood can sue to actually move it forward through the courts. They tried suing the state of Texas saying, you can't, you know, this is wrong, but you've got to have an offended party. And there's mm. no offended party at this point in time because nothing has happened. They, the state of Texas isn't the enforcement arm of that law. So right. really you can't, we won't see anything until a, a civilian or somebody decides to sue and tries to move forward with that. Then we'll see how that plays out. So it's yeah. kind of a limbo. It's a, it's a limbo. We yeah. don't know the mechanism of it. And, and the other thing to consider too, is that same mechanism of a bill has actually been presented in California, but they're using it not for right. abortion. They're using it to go after gun owners yep. to be able to use the same mechanism that, so that the individuals <laughs> of California can sue gun, can sue gun owners. Wow. So, when you start looking at the whole of the mechanism, the question is, is that mechanism of enforcement, is it the right mechanism for our country when ultimately what is the best for our country? And that would be the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So states can make their own decision like we believe they should via the 10th Amendment, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Very cool. Um, I think this has been a really good, really good conversation. We really appreciate it. Is there anything else, any other questions that you guys want to ask before uh... – we wrap up this segment. Um, cool. Is there anything else that you want to add and bring up that you think our, our listeners would be, uh, it would be good for them to know? Uh, no, just thanks for having me here. I'm glad I was able to answer some questions. I've been answering quite a few questions since uh, last week <laughs> when sure. this all transpired. So uh, I, I have no problems doing that and, and I appreciate the opportunity. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Travis. And thank you for all that you do um, to, you know, with the uh, uh, anti-abortion movement and all of that kind of stuff. We, we really appreciate it. So the pro-life, pro-family. Pro-life. There it pro is. Pro-family. Pro-life. <laughs> pro yes. Pro-life, right. pro-family movement. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you very much. Um, so we're uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back, and we're going to discuss the literature segment. All right. Welcome back, everybody. So um, that was a really good interview. I'm really glad that uh, Travis was able to join us for that. Um, really stimulating conversation, I think. So um, went through some very interesting stuff. So definitely be sure to check out uh, those resources in the description and uh, send us an email if you have a question or any comments about that uh, interview that we did. Um, but uh, yeah, we're really glad to have Travis on. And definitely please share it with your friends who definitely are like, I don't know what, what's going on with the South Dakota legislator. Why didn't our legislators um, push for the, the pro-life um, yes. heartbeat yep. bill? Definitely. It's definitely a lot of behind the scenes is what's really important. Sure, yes. we have a lot of out front what's out there, but the behind the scenes is definitely the important thing about anything that goes on. Yep, totally. Yeah, that's really good information to know. And it's also good to know what's coming down the pike um, for pro-life, pro-family movements. <laughs> Travis corrected me there on that last one. So I will switch from that and say pro-life instead. So that's good to know. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely good to know what's happening on that front. And, uh, yeah, very, very exciting stuff. So, um, all right, moving on to our next segment, which is the literature of the month. This month we read The Confessional County by Raymond Simmons, and we read 
Um, we read that January. We're reading it this month as well. We, this week we read chapters eight and nine. So chapter eight was huge, huge, huge. Uh, a lot of really cool stuff. So we're going to be chatting a lot about that. Um, and then chapter nine had some very interesting strategies we're going to be addressing as well. So um, so in, in chapter eight, uh, Simmons discusses additional approaches as ways to achieve social confessionalism. So we're going to talk about those different approaches. Um, and some of these I've put under the category of what did we find most interesting? So um, things that we thought were really interesting about some of these approaches. He continued to emphasize the fact that these approaches are not replacements of social confessionalism, but rather they are to be considered as different ways. And he kept putting ways in quotes. He's been doing that for the whole book and I didn't really understand why he kept doing that. But then when we get to chapter nine, he breaks down why he's been putting ways, means, and ends in quotation marks. It's really interesting the way he breaks that down. So we're gonna be talking about that a little bit as well. I, I, um, but they're not replacements, they're just different ways to get the end goal, get to the end goal of, of social confessionalism. Go ahead, Joe. One thing I really wanted, I had in my notes to point out was I really enjoy and like how he's been saying this isn't the only way. We don't have a clear black and white. This is the There's set multiple goal. approaches. This yeah. is how we uh, transform transform our country i think is the yeah, right term yeah how, how to get how it we back get to, to social confessionalism mm -hmm. yep how we get it goal. back to the main bible there's not a black and white and i really like how he's honing in on that there's yeah. there's this aspect there's that aspect there's these other aspects i mean even yeah. evangelism is not the biggest and we're gonna get into either. that as well yeah oh spoiler spoiler <laughs> oh come alert. on bruce i had to jump on that train <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's and that's one of the big things we're going to talk about today um because that's what a lot of the church just focuses just on that instead of the end goal right so they, they focus yeah. on okay let's get the word to you yes and, and then hope that or some especially some organizations are like okay let's give you the word let's get you this is what you need to do to be saved now go off and do it and we we won't check back up on you yeah yeah definitely cool thank you joe mm-hmm um, so we're, yeah, we're going to be talking about all of that kind of stuff, uh, moving forward. So, um, yeah, so Raymond Simmons lists four approaches, um, throughout chapter eight and they are evangelism, the promises of the Psalms, the doctrine of the remnant, which I thought was so cool to read about and the intercessory, uh, yeah, I'm saying that right. Intercessory prayer of the church, which was really cool. So before I move on, um, do you guys have anything you want to do just to introduce those introduce those four we're going to get into each one specifically but do you guys want to talk about any broad sweeping generic things about those really quickly just the the broad sweeping generic thing that i have is another thing we need to look at and understand is these aren't going to save us from uh social curses these won't they they just they they are there they yes. eventually will go yeah. away but once things happen, once the, let's just say the entire nation confesses that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, yeah. it's not going to automatically end all of our curses. Now, it will be on the train or in the future for us to have so social blessings, but it's not going to end our curses right then and there. And, and that's the thing that I thought that was most important in, in, in the reading. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. On page 84, Simmons discusses how evangelism is a way 
which will lead to the eventual end or goal of Christ's reign over all things. Until a person becomes a new creature in Christ, they will not seek God's will to be done on earth, right? Which is the, the end goal is that, uh, what, what did he call it? Com uh, comprehensive Christianity, right? Where the comprehensively everything belongs to Christ and Christ is in everything in the world, right? Um, so the eventual goal is that a nation will seek social confessionalism, but a society can only truly follow God's law when the people's hearts have been changed. And as Joe said earlier, it's important to note that evangelism is just one way of repairing a society. We wouldn't need so much evangelism if Christians stopped sending their children to the secular government to be trained in secular humanism. We wouldn't need so much evangelism because they're being, that, that's what the family unit is for, training your children so you don't have to go out there and train all the rest of them because they should be trained by their families, right? One of the best ways to evangelize and bring people to Christ is by training your own children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, not sending them off to a school system, Christian or otherwise. Train them yourself. That's the job of the family. And we, we spent a whole month talking about that, but I had to get that in there because we're talking about evangelism and that's one of the biggest issues uh, in regards to evangelism. We wouldn't need so much of it if parents stopped sending their children into the world to be trained by the wicked. Go ahead, Joe. By the way, since you make mention of that, I, I recently found on Instagram, there's a little clip on something USA. I can't remember what it's called. Um, supporting USA or it, it's a pro-constitution. Oh, nice. Um, okay. Yeah. Platform. I can't remember. Or on Instagram. I can't remember. Oh, we'll have it in the description. But oh, there, okay. there, there was a little clip of, I think it was the Laura Ingram show, and how there was this one teacher who's from California, who moved to Florida, and she called the government schools government indoctrination Whoa, camps. And this was awesome. on, I believe, wow. the Laura, Ingr um, Laura Ingalls show. Yeah, so, Ingram. Yep. Yes. Wow. That's I, awesome. I just had, I was just like, yes, finally. Yes. Yeah, more people are, are waking up to the truth of what they actually are. Yeah. Yes. Very cool. Jake, did you have anything you wanted to add uh, to this conversation? Have a bullet point or something? Yeah, um, not an exact bullet point. I just wanted to, to kind of touch on what you were saying about training up the children. And uh, I was actually just hearing in our um, sermon today that our pastor was going over, he was mentioning that the majority of teens are leaving the church. Wow, and, yep. And it's because, and it was breaking down why, and it, it was mainly because either they were moving off to college or they had more liberties, like they had their own driver's license. And so they they didn't need uh, they they didn't have to go there or they could go anywhere they wanted during that wow. time, you know. Yeah. And and it kind of shows that. That just sending children to the public school and then them coming back home and then trying to train them at home or giving them one day of yep. where they learn yep. about um, God's word really doesn't make them strong in it. Exactly. It, it just makes them thinking, oh, this is traditional. Yeah. Uh, but it, it doesn't need to be done. Right. You know? Yep. 
just going through the motions and right. yeah when right. it's not a deeper heart issue yeah and and you know i think uh when we had uh our interview with our mom right with with uh beth johnson uh we were she was discussing that that heart issue problem right when you're when you're a teacher and you have 30 kids in a room that you have to manage all day long there is no way those kids are actually going to get their heart issues resolved correctly and biblically that's the job of the mother who has far less children and she loves them far more than a teacher ever could or really ever should because that's not you know it's the parent's job so yeah that's 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 a really good point because even even in those cases where maybe they've been going to christian school or whatever they're still going to church just to go through the motions because the, the heart issue is not resolved yep totally thank you jake for pointing that out it's really good um, so our verse last week actually makes this point really well. Um, it speaks specifically to, um, uh, those who God calls his people who are called by his name. And actually, before I get to this bullet point, I want to talk about one other one above it. I kind of jumped, but evangelism is not going to solve the issue of land curses. And that's what Joe was talking about. Curses require confessionalism on a societal level in order to be resolved. Um, and our Second Chronicles 7.14 verse we talked about last week talks about God calling his people who are called by his name. It's specific to them, right? And he says, it says he's speaking to people who are already saved. Evangelism will lead a nation to societal confessionalism while at the same time, hopefully, keeping a nation from adding additional curses to their land because of sin, right? So this is not to say that evangelism is not a good thing. It's a very good thing because we can't have a nation willing to follow God's law without them being Christianized, right? Without their hearts being changed. So on the individual level, it's important. But unfortunately, what happens too often in the church is they replace social confessionalism. And we're also talking about national confessionalism, right? The, the civil government. They replace social confessionalism with evangelism and say, oh, we're only going to change the individuals. We're only going to evangelize people and just give people a basic half version of the gospel instead of talking about the, the power of the gospel to change entire societies, right? They don't preach that. It's just the basic small sliver of gospel just for the individual and that's it. So, I mean, I, even even talking about the subject of evangelism, yeah. if the church and, and, and especially thinking about evangelism as an effective evangelism, too, as uh, getting people to understand that they're in sin and getting people to understand that they need um, to follow scripture. And and with that, if, if the church even now put put their all of their eggs into the basket of evangelism and actually <laughs> just really focused hard on evangelizing uh, outside and actually and not only evangelizing people, but evangelizing the the poli the politicians and the um, yeah. Yeah. the gov government institutions that it would really change the nation. But I, I think more importantly here is that if we take all of these aspects uh, that uh, Mr. Simmons talks about here, if we take all of those aspects, it'll be even easier to go out and and if we do them and and like kind of focus on each one the same amount and and then continued on with those, it would change the culture even faster. Yes, yes. 
Yes, and I think part of what you're discussing is a change in the goal, right? The end. What is the end goal? It's Is it that everyone is evangelized? It's part of it, but that's not the whole goal. The end goal is societal confessionalism, right? An entire right, society right. on a societal level confessing Christ. And as we're about to talk about a little later on in chapter 9, we talk about the city on the hill, right? That will bring people. That's that's a form of evangelism. When, a, when there's a, a, a country, like America used to be, that followed God's word, it became a light. So when we talk about salt and light, that's a huge part of what we mean. You evangelize just with your actions, right? Mm -hmm. Actions often speak louder than words. And when you have a country as free as ours, also talking about uh, Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, we were talking about that last week. You know, he was the only one because God allowed him to uh, interpret his dream. Tell him his dream, interpret his dream. Nebuchadnezzar was like, wow, what God do you worship? I want to worship that God, right? So that's a form of evangelism as well. Getting to that societal confessionalism, social confessionalism for a county, the counties around it are going to turn around and say, whoa, why are they doing so well? What are they doing? We should adopt some of their policies. And that will lead to even more social confessionalism. So, all right. Anything you want to add before we go on to our next topic? Um, go ahead. Yeah, Joe. so oh. I actually... Oh. Go ahead. All right. did, did Joe have something to add? Go he ahead. does, but he'll go... Uh, you want to go okay. second? All right. Go ahead, Jake. <laughs> all righty. So I, I only have one last bullet point that right. kind of touched on everything else. Um, but something I found interesting, and this was brought up, I think, in Chapter 9, um, but it was that we are to be the best and ultimate strategists of the world because only we know how it will end, and, and we know God's plan. Yes, and uh, that's going to be I a think... really important thing to discuss when we get into the, the – you know, strategy and tactics, uh, portion of this. So yeah, that's, that's a really yeah. good, uh, quote to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that isn't the quote. The quote is, uh, is, Oh, this. <laughs> all right. That uh, was paraphrase. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was <laughs> Sounded uh, so good. Your, your paraphrasing <laughs> abilities have increased tenfold. I was like, man, that's a good quote. And you know, no, that's just, that's a Jake quote is what that was. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. But uh, the quote is, because we have special revelation, Christians are the only ones who can account for the ultimate causation, yes. which is God himself. Yes. It, it, and that was a quote. That was a quote. Was a quote. <laughs> All right. Yep. Nice. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, that also is a good quote. So the Jake quote and the Simmons quote, both very good quotes. Um, and yeah, we're going to bring that up again when we get to the tactics section or strategy section as well. So yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay. Oh, sorry, Joe. Go ahead, Joe. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> anyway, the, the one last point that I wanted to bring and I thought was very important to note in here is how Simmons states in page uh, 83, and he states, evangelism's primary goal is to worship and glorify God. That that's the that's the quote that I that I found was like okay, evangelism's primary goal is to worship and glorify God, yeah. and and it was just a, a thought process of, well. You're you're trying. Everyone thinks evangelism is oh let let's bring everybody here to worship God, but it, it seems like here, the, this quote is stating that. Um, its main goal is to worship and glorify God, not yeah. bring people to worship God. It's you yourself worshiping God. And I think that's what some of these 
also some of these evangelists think, oh, evangelism is, is let's bring people in. Let's keep bringing people in. Yeah. Yeah. Very. Maybe, maybe you have a different thought no, process. That's, that's a really good point. Um, and that's a, that's a big part of it. Like we were talking about before. I mean, before a society can get to the point at which societal confessionalism is even possible, you have to have changed hearts and minds. I think part of that quote is, uh, you know, a society can only truly follow God's law when the people's hearts have been changed. If there's no heart change and they're not um, seeking for that savior, they don't understand that what they're doing now is not good enough. They need Christ and his word, God's perfect word. Then there's going to be no, there's no, no potential for societal confessionalism. So mm-hmm. yeah, exactly what, what you were you know discussing. That's, that's part of it. That's a huge part of it. Yep. Um, all right. So, uh, next segment, what did we find most surprising? Something we hadn't considered that way before we'd heard it, but the, the way that he phrased it was really cool, um, or stood out to us, um, or just unique. And we were like, Oh, I got to bring this up. So, um, my first point, Simmons goes on to discuss how the protections outlined in the Psalms. So now we're kind of moving past the first one, which was evangelism into, which is a huge, huge topic. And I'm really glad we spent some time discussing it. Now we have the other three to talk about. <laughs> we can always spend more on evangelism. We can, we can indeed. <laughs> um, so the protections outlined in the Psalms are usually directed towards protecting Christians from their enemies um, rather than protection from God's judgment, right? Um, however, Simmons makes the case on pages 90 and 91 that Christians can individually seek the same protection that is written about in the Psalms. And I do have a little bit more to say on that. But before I go any further, did you guys have any points you wanted to bring up about protection um, with the Psalms? Okay. Okay, cool. Um, so in quoting first Peter chapter two, verse nine, he says that we are in a sense, a distinct nation as Christians, even though we're still in America. He also quotes Philippians chapter three, verse 20, and states that we have a kind of dual citizenship with our main citizenship being in heaven. So because of that, we are essentially asking for protection the same way that the psalmists asked for protection, um, from out, other nations, we could be asking for that same protection as a nation of Christians, right? As Christians. So it was kind of interesting to, to discuss. However, he goes on to restate that the Psalms are not generally directed towards protection from God's judgment, and that we should not use them as our primary defense and strategy. So it's important to note that. After discussing the Psalms, Simmons goes on to talk about the doctrine of the remnant. I loved this. This was so cool, and I think it applies so well to our society today. And it should comfort us immensely. Um, so the the doctrine of the remnant, which I thought was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. On page 91, he says, and here's his quote, the remnant is God's tool per- for preserving his people. And there are two ways he uses the remnant to preserve. First, he preserves a society from destruction. And second, he preserves a line of faithful people in order to continue his redemptive plan. End quote. Um, before I move on to some more specific examples, did either one of you guys, Joe or Jake, do you guys want to bring up something about, uh, the remnant and discuss that a little bit? Any thoughts on that? So I, I really didn't know about this topic very much. But okay. Yeah. That it makes a little bit more sense when you're, when you're saying it here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yes. And yeah. And I think that that quote kind of gives me a little bit more context 
And so, yeah, yeah, I like, cool. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think without knowing the context, the doctrine of the remnant is kind of like a vague, it's like, Oh, what does that mean? But when you really delve into it, it's like, Oh man, I, I don't know how else I would restate that. Like that makes perfect sense once you, once you get into it. So. And, mm-hmm. and kind of what comes to mind is, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. I was just and, about to talk about that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And how, yep. um, what was asked is if there was any yeah. faithful Christians was, in the land yeah. uh, that the there land wasn't. would be spared. Yep. But it wasn't. Yep. There wasn't so enough I, of I a remnant. That interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's a really good point to bring up. Um, and actually, that's one of two accounts that Simmons discussed, um, Sodom and Gomorrah. But then he also discussed one that I thought was really fascinating, the 7,000 men who hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. Um, in Sodom and Gomorrah's case, there wasn't enough of a remnant to save their societies. But in the case of the 7,000 faithful men, Simmons talks about how Elijah thought he was the only one left, which I thought was fascinating. Elijah thought he was it in his society. He was the only faithful faithful person left in Israel. And then God revealed that he, that God had been preparing a remnant of 7,000 men to restore the land, 7,000 people across the nation that really didn't know much about each other. And that Elijah didn't know about, but then he, God in his wisdom brought them together to reclaim the land. And that was the remnant that saved Israel, at least for a time. So I I just thought that was fascinating. And it's such a big comfort, right? We think we're alone, but God behind the scenes has a remnant that he's saving um, and may use that to restore the the nation. He may not, but that's always a possibility that we need to to remind ourselves and and keep in mind. Go ahead, Joe. I was going to say, maybe the, the, the story of the 7,000 men, maybe that it's just a ref- our, 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 our country's having a reflection on that. And with COVID, a lot of more Christians have now rose up. Yeah. And have been like, yes. this is tyrannistic government. I thought the now, same thing. Now, we, now here's the, all the Christians that do believe that we have a tyrannistic government and now let's all rise up. Yeah, I don't know. Tyrannical government. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, really good point to make felt before at least not not that we didn't know that there are christians here in america but more that we didn't think there were any strong christians Mm -hmm. or christians who would actually want to to fight back or even knew what was going on Mm -hmm. yep exactly exactly um so kind of the uh the other side of this simmons discusses on pages 93 and 94 that although god works in wondrous ways and may use a remnant to save our country, we shouldn't rely on that as our primary strategy. That's not our primary strategy. There are many unknowns, such as how many people will it will actually take to save a country from judgment, right? Um, on pages uh, 99, or I'm sorry, 96 through 99, Raymond Simmons goes through multiple examples in scripture, which show, uh, oh, okay, this is kind of moving on to the church interceding. I didn't put that at the top, but we can move on to that before we move on to the the, the, the last bit there. Um, did you guys want to talk about the, the remnant at all or move on? Anything to add? I was confused a lot about. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. knew about. It took the, a little bit of studying. It, it to... took me a little bit of understanding. The evangelist. Uh, evangelism. Yeah, yeah. The evangelism. I, I knew. I understood what evangelism was. But all these other three, I'm like, 
I, I'm just not getting it. I'm, yeah. I'm not understanding it. So yep. I was really yep. hoping that you would be able to clear it all up for did us. I, did I clear it up, Joe? <laughs> I think so. All you, right, good. You've given me more of an understanding. So maybe if you didn't know about this, maybe <laughs> it, it has sparked you to understand this more. Maybe. Maybe yes. not. Yes. Our audience, get the book and see what you understood from this chapter. Yeah. There was a lot. I mean, chapter eight was massive. This is kind of part of the reason why we uh, took a little bit of a like a, a break. Di- we diverged week. from our general, our usual uh, schedule last week, and we were like, "Let's just go through seven. We might need an extra week to go through chapter eight because there's a lot here." Like, I think I, last week I'd read halfway through chapter eight, and I was like, "Man, I need more time to read through this." <laughs> so <laughs> read and understand it's it. Totally worth it, though. Totally worth reading through. Um, all right, so moving on to the intercessory prayer uh, from the church for for a nation, inter, interceding, right? A church praying to intercede for um, for a nation. Um, so on pages ninety six through ninety nine, there's just so many examples. I didn't have time to read them, you know, discuss them all, but that's good to read through. Um, it, 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 he goes on to show multiple examples, which show the church interceding through prayer for a nation, but he also talks about how that in and of itself is not enough to remove God's judgment from a nation. Simmons asserts that the prayer must be accompanied by national and societal confession, as always. So this is our our running theme, right, is these are four other methods. These are other ways. We're going to talk about that ways in quotations, right? But um, these are four other ways, but they're really not, they're A, they're not the end goal, and B, they can't just be used on their own, right? It requires multiple different things. There's multiple things involved here. So essentially, you can't just focus on evangelism. You can't just focus on the doctrine of the remnant, for example. You can't just focus on those things. There's more to it than that. And you have to keep the end goal in mind as you're focusing on those things. Can't just say, all right, we're going to pray about it and leave God to do it. We, yeah. we, we God yeah, uses he works through us. ordinary means. God yep. used, I mean, Joseph and Daniel, Joseph was put to prison and then he was able to right. help um, Egypt. Yeah. It, and that doesn't not... mean we don't pray. Correct. Right? We do pray. And in we fact, do... that was actually a uh, uh, part of a quote that our pastor was talking about today. You know, God uses our prayer in his plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you got to think about it too. Daniel had to pray uh, and ask God for, for the wisdom and for, okay, what was Nebuchadnezzar's dream for the interpretation? Yes. Their, their prayer is definitely an important part. Yes. But we also can't just say, okay, hands up. We're just going to pray about it, and, and then God will God will do with with it whatever he sees yep. fit. We, yep. we have to be open to being that pawn. Yes. Very good observation. Thank you, Joe. You're welcome. Um, moving on to the third segment. Before I do, anybody have anything else to add? Yeah. So I had one last bullet point Go for ahead. this question. And it was talking about that, um, talking about the church. And uh, something that furthers uh, Mr. Simmons' point is that the church itself cannot confess for the sins of the society. Yes. And that's like we were saying. And I have a quote here from the book that kind of backs this up. Uh, Like he says, Ezra's example is one case that shows the church is limited in its ability to confess the sins of the land. Ezra shows a confession by the entire society is needed. 
Mm. We will see that the church alone cannot secure forgiveness for the society. Yes. Fantastic. Yep. Yep. Really good point to make. Thank you. Yeah. Um, all right. Our next segment. What part of the reading do you think most applies to the theme of the month? And our theme, as a reminder, this month, February and last month, January, is what does it really mean to be salt and light in this dark world? What does it really mean to be salt and light in this dark world? And really, everything we've been talking about this book in this book pertains to this theme. Um, so it's just like, okay, well, let's just pick a few bullet points and, and really hone in on that. But really everything we're talking about is how we can really be salt and light in this world. So, um, but in chapter nine, Simmons begins to really hash out multiple strategies that we can begin employing to reach the goal of societal confession. This chapter was so cool. I really loved reading through this because he starts getting into the specifics, you know, like what strategies can we actually start using um, today to start working in our county to make it a, 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 a confessional county, a, a, a county that confesses, confesses on a societal level. There we go. <laughs> I, can, I can get the words out. I swear I can talk. Um, he begins by laying, the con laying out the concepts of ways, means, and the end or the goal we're reaching for. So ways, means, and ends. Those are key terms that he's been discussing. So we're going to be breaking those down a little bit. Simmons asserts that Christians should be the best at strategy. And this is exactly what Jacob was discussing earlier, right? We should be the best at strategy because strategy relies heavily on causation, which he says is the law of harvest in the Bible. And he gave the example of reaping, reaping what you sow. And that's Galatians 6 verse 7. And Simmons adds that Christians are the only ones who can account for the ultimate causation, which is God himself. So causation is is a really big part of strategy. And God is the ultimate, uh, you know, example of causation. So this is really, Christians should know this better than anyone. Um, but I, I really liked how Simmons pointed out that God's creation is consistent in its causality. He used Genesis chapter 8, verse 22 as proof of this, which is, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And that's the end of that verse. Building on this concept is the idea that we can and should learn from the things that God has revealed to us, even though we don't know the entirety of his plan. He quoted Deuteronomy uh, chapter 29, verse 29, which says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So it's important to study those the things that God has revealed to us. Um, and so that is what Simmons attempts to do in chapter nine. But before I go on, did you guys want to add to this conversation at all? Any points you had? All right. Um, on page 104, Simmons says, yeah, it's kind of a big quote, but I think it's really important. The great, the great commission is our grand strategy. It has ways, means, and ends. It has causation and timing. It also has comprehensiveness and societal confessionalism, all the things we've been talking about th thus far. The two things we discussed in previous chapters. Um, it should not surprise us that God packed all of the components into the, into the Christian's famous charge, end quote. Our grand strategy is laid out in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, where Christ tells us to, and here's the verse, go therefore 
and make make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we've brought that up a lot, right? The Great Commission, what it's actually talking about, the, the, the gravity, but also the power, but also the enormous task that we've been given. Um, and, and Simmons brought that up here and said that this is our grand strategy. This is our goal. This is what we're working towards. Making disciples of all the nations, baptizing all the nations. That's a huge undertaking. But that's our goal. We need to keep that in mind. We're not just we're not just playing for for small stakes here. We're not just trying to evangelize one or two people and save them. Um, the term, you know, just give them fire insurance, right? Just save them from hell. That's all you're doing. Now, this is a huge, huge thing that stretches across all of society. Whoop! There we go. Hit my microphone. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is like far, far greater than what a lot of people, unfortunately where they limit the gospel, what they bring the gospel down to, there's so much more that we need to keep in mind as our end goal. Simmons brings up the point that baptizing and making disciples of nations is a much larger task than focusing solely on evangelizing individuals and not affecting the society or calling it to confess Christ. Um, Did you guys want to add to that point before I moved on? The Great Commission and how that relates is our grand strategy. Okay. No, I do. I do think it in, is is interesting though that that um that wording there is nation and and that yes. he calls us to go therefore baptizing the nations. Yes. Not not baptizing the people, but baptizing the nations. And so I I think that's really interesting. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Um, all right. So we are running short on time, but we're gonna try and get through the last. I have three more points that we want to get through. So. Um, on page 105, Simmons asks, and here's his quote, if comprehensiveness and confessionalism are the ways, what are the means in the commission, the Great Commission, end quote. He answers by saying, and here's the rest of his quote, in strategic phraseology, means are the resources that provide the ability to proceed. The means in the commission are Christ's power and his grace, end quote. And then he also adds a reminder that the power to bring all these things about, to do all of these things, comes from Christ, not from us. And that's a really important thing to keep in mind. On pages 107 and 108, Simmons talks about the concept of the city on a hill. And I loved this. This plays directly in to our theme, salt and light. And we've been talking about this a lot, you know, and we just discussed this earlier. Um, the concept of a city on the hill. So I'll define it before I start getting super excited and just go through the whole thing. Okay. This, I believe, relates directly to our theme and is an important concept that we've brought up on the show multiple times. I think since day one, we've pretty much brought it up on every episode. When things around us start to look bad, we have to realize that when we reach social confessionalism in a county, that county will shine like a beacon to the counties around it. This, Simmons asserts, should be something that we begin working towards today. On page 111, he says, If we relegate the city on the hill to the end of the gospel campaign, we miss the whole point of it, end quote. Um, so, the city on the hill, right? This is when, a, 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 and we discussed this a little bit earlier, but when a county becomes a confessional county on that societal level, it stands out like a city on a hill. 
everybody around starts to look at it and, and ask, what God do you worship? What are you doing so differently that you're so successful that you've, you have all of these things? So that's, well, I mean, go ahead. A current day example of this. And I don't know if talking about Moscow, Idaho mm. and saying that, I don't know if, um, the County itself has confessed, but and, and this really shows the, the power of this societal confessionalism that just the society there and through that church that's in Moscow, Idaho, they've become a sort of city, city on the hill. Mm, and yeah. Christians have just flocked there trying to look for um, ways that they can get involved. Yes. And, and I don't even think they've reached the point where the actual county is confessing Christ. Yeah, but already and it's made such a like big impact. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I do think that's really interesting. Yeah, totally. Yeah, real life example. Thanks, Jake. Yep, absolutely. Um, so finally, Simmons discusses two important strategies. He calls the first mover advantage and the offset strategy. And Joe, I'd love to discuss this more with you in a second, the offset strategy. Um, but when discussing the first mover advantage strategy, Simmons calls on us to be proactive rather than reactive. Um, instead of waiting for the enemy to make their move, we should be actively pressing the attack against the gates of hell, which we are told will not prevail against the attacks of the church. They won't succeed. Gates of hell will collapse under the attack of the church. And yet we still stand by and we're reactive and we're just waiting for the gates of, you know, for the enemies to come out of the gates of hell and attack us. <laughs> Even though if we attack them, they would not prevail. Anyways, that's the whole point of this. He adds to this and says that, here's this quote, in a strategic sense, we offset by purposefully ignoring our enemy for a while in order to build instead of react, end quote. And that's his definition of an offset strategy, ignoring the enemy for a while in order to build instead of react. And that's kind of what Gab has done in a sense. They've said, all right, you know what? Big tech, we're done with you. We're going to build our own. And then he's calling it a parallel economy. We're going to build our own parallel economy. So we have an advertising system through Gab. We have a YouTube equivalent uh, or alternative through Gab. We have a payment processing system. We have a social media account. We have merch. We have all of these things now. It's like we're building now without you. So we're doing this on our own. Now they have to react to us. And what's great about Gab is it's all privately funded. So they don't have months on end. Yep. It's, it's only... All right. Every month. Every month. Yeah, you can see the progress on the side, how much they've raised that month. Yeah. We're only three percent um, funded. funded for this month. Yeah. Or yeah. Ninety-eight percent funded for the month. Yep. It's it's crazy to think that or how big is Gab actually? At millions. They've grown so much. Every day I get a new email from uh, from the Gab service announcing new senators that are on the platform now, which is That's really cool. cool. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I think it, Kyle Rittenhouse just joined as well. He's not a senator, but, you know, he's still mm -hmm. a big name in conservative circles. So that's he just joined, I think, yesterday or the day before. It's pretty cool. It's, it's cool to see that the Gab is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, so. yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And in a second, I'll switch it over to you, and we can discuss the offset strategy just a little bit or the history behind that, which I thought was fascinating. I, I, I studied a little bit of that, and then I was like, okay, I've got so much other stuff. Maybe I can ask Joe to look into some of the historical <laughs> examples that Simmons brings up. And Joe was like, all right, fine. I was like, Joe, do you like history? And he's like, 
not really. And I'm like, can you pretend to like history for today? Sure. <laughs> and Jake's up there like, I love history. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, so Jake, you're telling me I should have given this to you. You're you're the history yeah. buff. So you're the judicial. You're the history buff. He's the cook. I mean, what what well, can't I mean, this guy? Judicial I mean, is part of history. That's true. That is true. You have to know so much history to be part of the judicial. Yes. So, so Joe comes up with all of our brilliant illustrations. Jake's got the history and the judicial, and I'm, I'll just lead it. Yeah, that that'll work. Yeah, I'll just I'll just get you I'll just get you guys talking. Get those creative uh, juices flowing, right? Um, like COVID. What's that? You provide uh, the COVID. I can do COVID. Yeah, there we go. I've got the COVID side. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> provide the COVID. Here, guys, you want some COVID? Here you go. Um, so. <laughs> Page 110, or 110, so let's get into it. What do, what do you got? So the, the main offset strategy that I, I'm more familiar with, and that's because I, I went to a what's called the Minuteman Missile Silo in, in South Dakota. It's between Rapid and Pier. I can't remember exactly where at. But it it's about it, – it's a museum about the Minuteman Missile Silos that were – in South Dakota, because there was a lot of them in South Dakota, and wow. what and what it was is there was the the uh, what's it called the Minuteman Missile Silo Race, and that happened around the Cold War, if I am not mistaken. Um, yep. And that's where Jake's over there, like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's where Russia and us were trying to see who who can um, let's see. Who has the most missile silos? Because it was hmm, pretty close yeah. to being able to start a war based on Russia and, and United States. Russia, and, and that was that was based off of World War Two coming out of mm-hmm. World War Two because of us in the U.S. bombing uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki with the yeah. two nuclear missiles. Russia saw the power that we had and wanted to recreate it. Mm. And so that's kind of what started the Cold War in mm. the fight. Yeah. And like you're saying, that um, the race between them. And, and in the end, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, since you, you know a little more than what I do, um, <laughs> it was in the end result, we had three times as many as, as Russia, right? Maybe even way more, but I can't remember. I, I know we had a significant more missile silos than what wow. russia had wow and that's because we, we were putting off the 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 thought yes. process so of that's... oh our enemy we we, we have right. to compete with our enemy you know we're we're building ourselves up we're not we worry we're worrying about what the enemy is doing we're trying to advance our technology yes. as much as we can we're trying to dig as many holes as many as we can and i think we it got to the point where we could launch a nuclear missile within three minutes wow that's yeah, amazing. and and actually, interestingly, not 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 exactly that this is hard fact proof, but that um, it's an interesting idea to think of. Maybe another reason Russia lost was because of the communistic system that they had going on, mm. and that yeah. their economy was kind of tanking because of that. Yeah, and. And that's kind of why the Cold War also started was because of the spread of communism throughout the countries like China, Russia, mm. and throughout all the European countries and Asian countries. And so that's kind of what also began and what, what was causing the Cold War as well. 
And, yeah. and but that's just something interesting to think of that that might also be uh, there again there in in history there's multiple reasons things happened and not only is it that our perspective on the whole race was that we need to build up but also what was going on in Russia could have added to it so yeah. not not just finalizing there not to take away right. from your point your point is also true you know yeah yeah yep also going on to the economy resources is definitely the most important thing i mean you can have scientists involved in there all day long but it in the end it comes to resources and that's kind of what it comes down to with I'm going to tie it back into a biblical pr approach. We need to be training our own pastors. We need mm. to have the resource pastors, if I can say that, to actually be going and, okay, evangelizing, but trying to get people into into churches. And, into the and, church and then also expounding on that and telling them, hey, mm -hmm. you're here now. This is the responsibility that Christ gives you as a member of his flock, right? Mm -hmm. You're to bring about confessionalism on a national societal level. Yep. Thanks for picking up. I had no end sentence for that. So you picked right <laughs> there up. There we go. All right, great. Yeah, that, that's You that's can really see good. right where I was yeah, trailing. Yeah, where are you going? I'm like, yes, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, because one of the big things that going into the show, I knew one of the big things we, we really needed to accentuate was that we are not saying evangelism is not important. It's vitally important because without it, you cannot have a changed changed hearts and minds, right? Mm -hmm. You can't have a society that wants to follow God's word. But on the flip side, what happens when the society has changed, right? What should they want? What should they be desiring now to mm -hmm. take their change and apply it to society on a societal level like what we've been talking about this whole time with social confessionalism, right? On a national scheme, this is what we're looking for. So, yep, awesome. Joe is my as my timekeeper is letting, time, time, letting time. me know we are way over. So, thank you, Joe. You're welcome. <laughs> Glad I can yep. be assistant. I, I thought this was going to be a shorter show, but every time I think that, it's never a shorter show. <laughs> I don't think, I think that's any time we think it's going to be a longer show, yes. it comes to be a shorter show. Yes, indeed. So, just every time in the back of your heads, just think really like this is going to be a short show or this is going to be a long show. This is going to be a long show, and then we'll end shortly. You know. But I think this is all great content. So anything maybe, you guys want to add before we wrap up? Oh, go ahead, Joe. Maybe I should put on a joke because I'm not. Because now that I'm thinking about maybe you should put in the back of your mind, resistance to the time is futile. <laughs> resistance <laughs> to time is futile. That is funny. Sorry. Yes. Star Trek. I'm Star Trek. <laughs> Star Trek. Trekkies on a show with a microphone. Never, <laughs> never a good idea. All right. <laughs> anything you want to add, Jake, before we wrap up? No. All right. Well, thank you both. Um, this is some uh, really good stuff. I'm looking forward to the next two chapters. We're moving yeah, on. Moving on. Chapters 10 and 11 next week. So if you don't have the book, get the book. If you do have the book, start today reading chapters 10 and 11 in The Confessional County by Raymond Simmons. And until then, uh, thank you so much for watching. Don't forget, like this video, subscribe to our platforms. Go to our website, trdshow.net, share it with as many people as you can. Send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. And until then, we will see you in the next episode. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do as unto the Lord.